Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Anthony Sibio. He's an associate real estate broker at Coldwell Banker, and he's been in the business for 15 years and more. Welcome to the show, Anthony. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Catherine. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, you're on the show because, you know, one thing that often happens when people are divorcing is that they sell their home, they relocate. Certainly, some real estate is involved because people are going from living together to living apart, and that involves the introduction of at least one and maybe two homes. And a lot of people have a ton of questions about it. In fact, already today, I've had two conversations with people about, you know, their house and the selling process with my clients. And so, you know, let me just start by asking you, is this an unusual circumstance in your field? And is there anything special about selling a house or buying a house when people are getting divorced that isn't the usual? You know, not the everyday sale, but the uh, challenge is that people are splitting up and they're going their separate ways. And as their real estate broker, I have to stay neutral and not get in the middle of you know, what's going on between the two of them. And, you know, I, when I meet with them, I sit down with both when I have a, you know, listing appointment and I make it clear that I am going to sell their house. That's my mission. That's what I want to do and make it as easy as possible for both, you know, both husband and wife. And, you know, you just have to basically communicate with both parties. And I make sure I do that, you know, Anything that's going on, any offers that come through, I make sure both parties are aware of what it is. It sounds like what you're saying is you're a little bit of a mediator sometimes in that role and that you take very seriously. And I think what you're pointing out is how important it is that the both people have an opportunity to speak to their broker, speak to their agent so that everybody knows what's going on at all times. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And, Absolutely. You know, I think that people really do disagree sometimes about how best to approach the situation. Like, for example, you know, how much work to put into a property when, you know, some people are like, well, we're never going to sell or get what we need out of this house unless we put in $50,000 worth of work. And other people are like, let's, you know, get a painter for 500 bucks and like put some, you know, white paint up in the kitchen. You know, do you have an opinion about that? Well, it, it really it depends on the situation. I mean, I always give my opinion on staging a home, getting it ready to sell and what needs to be done. And we actually, you know, I, I give a booklet to my clients. And also, it really is a matter of, you know, what the house and the condition it's in. Now, generally, I don't suggest redoing a kitchen or bathrooms if you're ready to sell in a situation like this, because somebody's going to put their own, you know, colors or their own, you know, whatever their taste may be. But I do suggest that getting it ready, cleaning it up, decluttering, maybe painting, and then especially the front, you need to have a great curb appeal. And sometimes you just as simple as changing the front door can just make a, a world of difference in painting, you know, the inside or the exterior of the house. So 
that's something said. And also, when I work with a situation where people are, are splitting up, I suggest that they don't, one party doesn't take all their clothes out of the house and all their pictures out of the house because you don't want to set the tone that it's a distress situation. You absolutely want, you know, you don't want to let that known. And I, I don't disclose that to anybody on the other side unless these sellers want me to. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think that what you're saying sounds obvious, but on the other hand, you know, why not? I mean, not, I mean, seriously, I'm seriously asking the question because getting divorced does not necessarily mean it's a distress sale. You know, lots of people hold on to their homes. I've heard from other people who work in your field that people, as a general rule, overestimate the value of their homes. Is that your experience? They do. And that's why, you know, I will come in and give a, uh, you know, comparative market analysis and I will give you my opinion. And if you want to sell your home, you need to price it properly. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you did the research or, you know, such and such a house you saw on Zillow. You need to do a real intensive market analysis. And I take the time to do that. And I will go through a home and then I will go back and do the research. I like to do it in two steps. And you really need to compare apples to apples. And the well, tell us what those you, two steps are, Anthony, so that people understand. Well, well, okay, sure. And I will, you know, go through your house. First of all, tell you how to stage it. And if not, need be, I can get a stager to come in. And also, like, taking notes on, you know, how big the house is, how many bathrooms, how many bedrooms, condition. And then I will go back and do the research in that area. I'll try to stay within, you know, one or two mile radius of what is on the market, what's in contract, and what's sold. And I usually only go back six months on the sales because anything beyond that really is not, you know, not important. You know, in a complete, other than a complete book, give to you and you can go through it with me. Just go over why this is what the price is and what it should be. And is that so what's called can, a comparative market analysis? Correct. Yes. Okay. And is that something that you charge your clients for, or is that included in the service that you provide? I, I always it's included in my service. I always give a I call it a, a free consultation. Okay. And the other part is to show them how to stage it in order to create a better more appeal and encourage people yes. to make offers. Is that, is that what yes. you're saying? Yes, correct. Now, I mean, you can do something as simple as, just just a suggestion here, if somebody has a dining room and they have two leaves in their dining room table, you take out the two leaves, you put the table to a smaller size, it makes the room look bigger. And possibly, you know, you set up, you know, some centerpieces in the dining room table, in the kitchen, um, maybe a floral arrangement, just to make it look pretty. And sometimes you can even set the table the kitchen and or the dining room so that it just has a nice, you know, nice appeal. And, you know, you want the place to be clean, beds made, you know, declutter. I mean, that's something that's important. Sometimes people just don't realize how much they have in the house. And when you declutter it, it makes the house look more spacious and also more appealing. So, Anthony Sabia, let let me ask you this. Let's go back to the distress sale idea, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes people sell their homes years after they've split up, right? Okay. And I, yes. I don't think you're suggesting that you should put a few suits in the closet if they've mm-hmm. been moved out for, you know, six years. Correct. And so the idea is, are you saying that, that the seller and you as their representative don't want it to seem to the buyers like they're 
that they were going to be desperate to sell and so to only make lowball offers. Correct. But sometimes what happens is if another agent senses that they need to make a quick sale, they may lowball on the price that they offer. And, you know, you want to try to get the most out of your investment. And, you know, this is usually a large investment for most people. And, you know, you want to get the most out of it for what they can get, you know, on the market. Now, I do believe in fair market value, though, and I do believe that you have to price it properly. And sometimes you have to adjust the price point, you know, once it's on the market. But you'll find that out after it's on for a couple of weeks to see. And we do like an analysis of the top seven websites on how many people viewed a particular house. And that gives you an indication that if there are like three, four hundred people viewing your house every week and you're not getting showings and or offers, then you're overpriced generally. So that's another tool that I use to gauge whether or not we're in the right price point. You're listening to Dialogue on Divorce. This is Catherine Miller. We're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 on WVOX and WVOX.com, as well as as a podcast on my website, www.westchesterfamilylaw.com, as well as iTunes and SoundCloud. And I'm talking today with Anthony Savio about selling and real estate issues surrounding divorce. And Anthony's been talking to us about finding fair market value and preparing your home for sale in a way to maximize the proceeds that you get during divorce, but really, I guess, anytime. Is that right? Correct. Correct. All right. So I think you were talking about a fair market value and best way to get the best price for your house under the circumstances. Yes. And that's what my job is. And that's what, you know, I try, I take pride in doing because, you know, I want to get the most for you as, as a client um, so that, you know, you can walk away with the best profit or, you know, in your pocket. And, you know, usually in a situation like this where they're splitting the house in half, that kind of, I have to be realistic with them and let them know what the price point is going to be. And you don't want to waste time in any sale, you know, whether it's it's a, it's a divorce or not, in keeping it on the market because then you're paying taxes and, you know, heat or and or electric bills. And you really need to price it properly and, and sell it. And this market has been very, very strong and robust in the last year. So in Westchester. In Westchester, correct. There's a shortage of inventory, and any house that I put on that has priced it properly or brought it to the right price point has sold. And I've also had multiple offers on, on many of my properties where the buyer's agents bid it up, and I end up getting over the asking price. Anthony, how do you talk to people about the price when they are unrealistically optimistic about what their property is worth? Well, I give them the data. I mean, you know, when I do the analysis, I bring it back and I show them why I'm suggesting this price point. And I usually give a range, you know, somewhere around $25,000 range. And, you know, I suggest to them, you know, this is where it should be. And maybe you should be at the lower end because maybe you don't have an updated kitchen or, or your bathrooms are older. Maybe you should go for the higher side because you, you know, you're actually you're in a cold sack or, you know, there's other features of the house that make it desirable that, you know, people will pay more for it. But you also have to realize that once you get a deal in place and you get a contract, the buyers, if they are getting a mortgage, they will have a bank come in and appraise it. And if the house doesn't appraise, if you had an unrealistic 
price point and, you know, say you got lucky and you bought somebody that will pay more. And the bank won't give a mortgage if that's the case because they go in and they want, you know, they want to give you a mortgage for fair market value. So you need to be realistic. Sense. Even And Correct. even if you can convince the buyer to go along with your fantasy land price, the bank is going to pour some cold water on all of that. Correct. And then you've, you've wasted time and they, they may not be able to get their mortgage. Or you have to readjust, you know, readjust the price point. Let's go back to the idea of curb appeal because, you know, there are so many television shows and I myself have watched many times about that kind of thing, making it look your house look more appealing or, you know, selling it or buying a new one or whatever the, the concept of the show is. Do you have any, can you give recount any stories where you thought that really made a big difference or what people actually did to create a sort of a real synergy there? Sure. I'll give you one example of something that, you know, I just worked on. Somebody had an underground oil tank and they, my suggestion was to get it removed and put one inside the house and they did. But, it was done in the beginning of the summer, and it was, you know, a little bit quiet in July and August, so we put a target date of putting the house on, you know, early September and letting some of the grass grow back because it, the house, you know, was just like dirt in the front or, or possibly putting sod down because that's the first thing somebody sees when they get out of the car. And then sometimes I'll tell people to get their walkway spruced up or finished point the steps, you know, get somebody to come in to, to really make the steps look nice or have the concrete, their foundation painted, you know, might maybe very moldy or, you know, it just doesn't look good. And that, you know, just has a look. Or put a new door on, you know, that's another possibility. And maybe some plantings in the front or some shrubs, a small investment to make the house really look nice. And it, it does make a difference. And you really can make an impression because that's the first thing they see and you know they'll feel somebody coming in will feel that this house has been well taken care of and it's you know it has that you can see it as soon as you walk you know we'll walk up the pathway to get there and possibly even like you know having your driveway resealed four or five hundred dollar investment but it makes your driveway look brand new it goes back to that you know how much money do you have to put in and i think what you're saying is you want to put in enough money and you want to leverage that money to create the most yes. eye appeal. So it's not structural so much. I mean, obviously, they'll have an inspection if they go forward with with them making a bid and signing a contract. Right. But that what you're talking about is, you know, rather than redoing the roof, you know, put in some money and paint and, and plant and, and create a more appealing visual. Yes. And, you know, the other, when somebody does work with me, because I've been in business for 15 years, I... I have a Rolodex of people um, that I can put you in touch with, you know, contractors or, you know, somebody to do the driveway and, and so forth. So, you know, it's almost like a one-stop shopping. I have mortgage brokers that I work with. So it definitely can make the process a lot smoother and, and easier for you. And how do you think, Anthony Savio, is a good, what's a good way to, you know, other than just choosing you, what's a good way to choose a broker? Because I know that for many of my clients, you know, choosing the right broker as something that they sometimes disagree about and, and they have different criteria by which they are making the evaluation. So what are your suggestions? Well, I think, you know, you should interview a few people and see who you're comfortable with and the person that you know, you know, a track record of success and also somebody that you're going to feel comfortable with and somebody that's not going to get 
emotional about the situation. They're going to try to stay calm and keep you on the course of selling the house. And sometimes in, in a divorce situation, it's smooth and sometimes it's not. And when it's not, you know, both parties got to realize that this is a lot of money for both of them and they really need to come together and work through their real estate agent to get to get the sale done. You know, you really, I try to definitely in a situation like this, stay extremely neutral. I don't give my opinion about what's going on between the two of them. I just try to stay business and this is how I will, you know, approach selling your house. What's the danger of, an, of, a, of a real estate agent becoming emotional? Well, then they get caught up in, they get caught up in, in your emotions and they're not going to be able to perform. It's just like, you know, yourself, Catherine, I know you, you have to stay, you know, somewhat neutral in a situation like that so that you can advise your client and do what's best for them. And sometimes you need to tell somebody something they don't want to hear, whether it's the price point or what needs to be done in their house. And I tell people that I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to sell your house and this is what you need to do to sell your house. I'm very blunt, but I get results, and and I have a, I have a you know strong success record. So, this is dialogue on divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, and I'm talking mm-hmm. today with Anthony Sabio about the pitfalls of selling your house during a divorce. And Anthony, if people have questions for you or want to reach out to contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm going to give you my cell phone number. It's nine one four three one nine two nine seven zero. And do you have an email address that would also I do. work? Yes, A S I B four four at AOL dot com. All right, that's great. Thank you so much. And Anthony, what other pitfalls are there for people divorcing and selling? Um, it could be a, also, you know, you need to put in place what your plans are, where you're going. You need to have a place to go to once the house sells. What if you sell the house in the first weekend that's on the market? So they need to you know, have plan A and plan B in place. And that's with any sale. But in this situation, you know, maybe somebody has to stay with a relative until they can find what they're looking for if they're not in the situation where they can buy before they sell. And most people aren't. So they've got to be aware that they're going to have to pay off their mortgage and possibly put their stuff in storage. So So there's some they, timing issues to take into correct, account. Correct. And you need and you really need to, you know, kind of get that in motion and started. I mean, some people I've worked with, you know, they've rented pods and put them in the driveway to to get rid of the clutter. So, you know, that's an option. You know, you you put a pod in and you can you can start packing away and get the house ready, you know, ready for sale. Uh some people buy you know, they'll they'll get something in a warehouse or um and rent a space to put their merchandise in. And, you know, you also need to start to possibly line up movers and, and so forth. But that's the last, last part of the stage. So, I mean, speaking of timing, you know, there is conventional wisdom that there's a season, a couple of seasons in which to sell and yes. some seasons in which not to list. What's your experience with that? The best possible time to sell is any time after first week of January, after New Year's, because people that are wanting to get into a certain school district may start looking at that point. Usually in between, say, you know, January to Memorial Day is very, very brisk and very busy. Generally might get quiet in, around July 4th until the end of the summer. 
And then right now, right after Labor Day, has picked up substantially. And I've seen in the last five years that fall market has been very good. And it generally continues until Thanksgiving. And, now, that doesn't mean yeah. you can't put something on. If you're in a situation that you need to, you still can get something going. And the websites are really important. We'll put our, you know, our clients on 20 websites when they list their house. And then those 20 websites will get fed into 700 websites throughout the country. So most buyers are starting their, you know, their search online. And sometimes people are looking from out of the area or from overseas. Is that right? Yes, they are. And, you know, that's another thing. I network a lot with like Cardis Relocation and our company. You know, we have a, you know, have a worldwide presence. So that's important to get people looking. And we've been getting a lot of people coming out of the city, you know, Manhattan, Brooklyn, the Bronx, wanting to come up to Westchester. So a lot of young um, families, I imagine, yes, doing that. Yes, and, yes. And then you have, you know, when you have divorcing people, they also have children. They often want to stay in the same school district. And, you know, is that a difficult thing to do? No. You know, you just got to figure out your finances and, what you know, where you what you want to do. Do you want to, you want to rent temporarily to get, you know, back on your feet? Do you want to buy something smaller or buy something the same size? Sometimes it, it may make sense when I sit down with you the first time and give you an idea what the house is. Maybe you can afford to buy out the other party. That's an option. That's my first suggestion if doable. Well, it certainly you eliminates know. the sort of conflict about, you know, whether or not to sell and what the timing should be. And I would be happy to give a free consultation in that situation of what your house is worth, and then you can make that decision, you know, intelligently. Help us understand sort of the difference between what you were talking about earlier, the comparative market analysis that you give as a as a service to your clients and, and a, what a real estate appraiser would be doing. Okay. That's a good question. Very good question, Catherine. Basically, we both use the same data, okay? And sometimes, you know, a bank will not go with a real estate broker's analysis. But we are using the same data, but they do have a it's a little bit more stringent than, you know, what I'll do because they may they have like a point system where if the kitchen's new, it, it ups it so much, you know, when the bathroom's new, it, up, it ups the price so much. And they try to stay within like a really tight, maybe a one or two mile radius. Sometimes when there hasn't been any sales in that locale, I, I need to go outside of that just to get an idea of the house's worth because may, maybe there wasn't a sale for the last year and a half in your neighborhood for whatever the reason might be. The bank, they're really strict on, on trying to keep it very tight. So the rules are a little bit tighter. And it also seems they to are. me sometimes that brokers can basically give some sense of trend, right? So like a, an appraiser is going to be like, all right, it's based on these comps. So therefore, you know, regardless of whether or not the market is steeply up or steeply down, it doesn't make any difference. They're stuck with those comps. But it, you have an opportunity to say, yeah, that's what these sales were. But let me tell you, the market's on fire. There's nothing else here or, you know, something terrible happened in the economy. So that's never going to happen. Right. And, you know, I've been through both the good times and the bad times. And during the recession, it was really difficult to you know, sell something on a timely basis because, you know, people were very hesitant to take a mortgage out and to commit to buying. And, that whole period from 2008 to, say, about 2015, 16, um, I had to work. I really had to work very hard to, to make a sale and, and, to, and to get somebody to, you know, to sell or buy. So it's actually good. It's good for me that I had to do it that way because then you're not cutting corners 
when you're you know, when, you, when you're working for somebody. Yeah, I bet you learned uh, a lot. Now it's easier. And now it's easier. I mean, you know, there, there, there was a limit of, you know, there's limited inventory and there's a lot of buyers buying for the same property. Oh, that's great news. We're, we're just about out of time. Anthony Sabia, <laughs> thank you so much for being our guest on Dialogue on Divorce. It's been a pleasure to have you. And, and thank you for having me, Catherine. I really, really appreciate it. <laughs>